Hey, how's everybody doing? Um, we, uh, we're going to do our devotion on Facebook Live tonight. We've been doing this on our church app, but, uh, but tonight, a little change of plans. Um, tonight, I'm going to be looking at a parable of Jesus. This is actually the third parable of Jesus that we've discussed in as many weeks. And uh, it's going to be about the parable in um, Luke 18, about two men in the temple. And so before we get into it, I want to uh, I want to take a look at the Pharisees and I want to take a look at tax collectors. So we're going to talk about those two types of characters. Um, so who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees, they were teachers of the law. They, they paid attention to the slightest detail of the law. Uh, they knew the law extremely well. And they were against any type of pagan idolatry. Uh, they were much more doctrinal than other uh, religious groups uh, like the Sadducees. Uh, they, they were um, very strict. In fact, though, to, you know, it, they were high standing in society. If you had a Pharisee over to eat, you know, that was considered to be uh, an important mark of social status. And Paul himself, you know, was a Pharisee. And the way that he talked about being a Pharisee was that he, you know, in his old life, that was um, tremendous uh, weight. It, it was uh, tremendous standing. You know, he, he talked about it. I mean, that if he was going to brag, he could brag that he was a Pharisee. And, um, and then, of course, that, you know, when God saved him, that that he understood then that uh, that that life um, wasn't worth anything compared to the life that Christ had given him. Uh, but but the Pharisees in the in the Jewish law and tradition were extremely uh, important people. But they were so detailed. I give you a couple of examples. That uh, I, I give you two examples: gnats and uh, seeds. So what would they do with gnats? They would strain their wine over and over and over again to make sure there were absolutely no gnats um, because they, it would make their wine impure and unclean because they were insects. Um, and, then, and then seeds, so tiny seeds. What they would do is they would even count seeds uh, because they would consider, that was considered part of the tithe. So they were extremely detailed down to the letter of the law and, and everybody around them could tell. I mean, you had a question about God. What do you do? You go ask a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. And, and so the law, though, should have humbled them. But for the Pharisees, it really became a source of pride uh, because they looked at how others compared to them. You know, I feel like, you know, a lot of us can be guilty of that, that we can compare others to ourselves. And, and if, you know, if others uh, are failing in areas where we succeed, that we'll that we'll kind of put ourselves above others. And that's what the Pharisees did. And and they, but they failed to see that as much as they would try, that they could not meet the standards of the law. You know, think about it. The law is a reflection of God's goodness and his holiness and his justice. And uh, in Leviticus 19, 2, in fact, God tells them to be holy like I'm holy. 
like he is, like God is holy. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter five on the Sermon on the Mount that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, then you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now think about what he's saying right there. Uh, and, and he is saying, look, you know, the Pharisees, he, he is admitting that the Pharisees um, have a very high standard when considering the law. You think about that, that he's using them as an example. And he's saying that if you don't go above them, then you won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. So what does that mean? I mean, if they, if they were, think about it, if they were the highest standard that, that you could find, um, then, then what does that mean for the rest of everybody? If they were the most righteous people that you knew personally and that you've heard of in your lifetime, then what does that mean for everybody else? And it's exactly, you know, the way that Jesus verbatim throughout the Gospels um, is, is that he is making a point so that people understand that their righteousness is not enough. And so, you know, it's not just about the outside. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's all failure, no matter how you look at it. You, um, you don't have, you don't make it in because you're less jacked up than others. You know, if he allowed that, then it would make him unholy. You know, he is holy and he is just and he is righteous. But it's, it's not just about the outside. Even if we were to strain out every gnat, so to speak, can we always have attitudes and, um, and unblemished desires? We have holy attitudes, unblemished desires at all times. Even a lustful look, um, you know, Jesus says has violated the law against adultery. I mean, we're told in James if you keep the whole law and you stumble just at one point, then that means you break it all. You know, and so, so it, we understand that we've all fallen short. And so, so there was a, a brief look at uh, Pharisees. Now, what about tax collectors? You know, tax collectors, they, they do that. They collect taxes for the Roman government. And, uh, you know, there's a Jewish tax collector. He's considered a traitor to his people because the Romans were you know, enemies to the Jews. They were categorized among their own people uh, along with prostitutes and drunkards. They worked for Rome and they would strong arm their fellow Jews um, while living, you know, much of the time, a much more lavish lifestyle than other Jews, comfortable at least. Rome would contract them out and they had to collect a certain amount of money, you know, um, each year. And whatever they collected over the amount that they were supposed to collect for the Romans, then they could keep the rest of it. So, so they had this reputation uh, for being very dishonest and cruel. Uh, often they were disowned by their own family and they were banned uh, in taking part in uh, religious practices and activities coming to the temple and things like that. And so, but here's the parable itself. So the parable is found in Luke 18, uh, starting in verse nine. And it says this, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. 
The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is an unbelievable parable. It's real short, but there's so much in it. The Pharisee, this Pharisee that is talking about, you know, it says that he treated others with contempt. Uh, you know, uh, the, the word in the Greek is, is really, you know, it's talking about being he despises others, uh, that he looks at them as worthless, good for nothing. In fact, this word, this Greek word is used only one more time in the whole and the rest of the Gospels. And listen where it's used in Luke 23, 11, uh, when Herod with his men treated Jesus with contempt. That word contempt there is the same word that was used in the parable. They mocked him, arraying him in a gorgeous robe. So this is right before his crucifixion where they're mocking Jesus. They're looking at Jesus as worthless. And this is the same way that the Pharisee is looking down on others. It says that's how he treated others with contempt. The ones that generally held the most contempt from the Pharisees, you guessed it. It's the tax collectors. Uh, by even brushing past, if a, if a Pharisee brushed past a tax collector on uh, one of the streets, the Pharisees would view himself as unclean, ceremonial unclean. Also, an interesting phrase that we see in the NASB and the KJV, it says that he prays with himself or to himself. And so it could mean that, that he's just praying silently, but... You know, it may not be because the attitude that the Pharisee has is very boisterous. Um, you know, he wants to be seen. And Jesus even talks about this type of attitude in Matthew 6 when he talks about, you know, teaching them how to pray. Um, where, where he says, don't be like, you know, the hypocrite, you know, who loves to stand and pray in the synagogue so they may be seen. So he definitely has the attitude of wanting to be seen. In fact, in the two verses, in this prayer, these two verses, a short prayer. He uses the word I, you know, in first person. He uses it five different times. You know, I thought about, well, there's no I in team, but man, there's an I in Pharisee, right? Uh, but this Pharisee, he's self-exalting. And he doesn't, in his prayer, he doesn't even ask God for anything. This ought to be a red flag for us. He asked for no mercy. He asked for no forgiveness. He asked for no help of any kind. Rather than praise God for the list of things that God has done and will do, he instead rehearses a list of things that he, the Pharisee, has accomplished. Like, for instance, he talks about that he fasts, I fast twice a week. Now, Pharisees generally fasted on Mondays and Thursdays, even though the law only required them to fast one time annually. The only thanks that he gives is that he isn't like those other sinners, such as extortioners, unjust, and adulterers. And then he even brings up this tax collector. You know, thank God that I'm not like this tax collector. Man, if he was, you know, praying out loud, wow. But it seems that he was looking at the tax collectors as he was 
praying, or at least that he had already seen him. And now he's, you know, he's talking about him in his prayer. And so uh, it seems like that God is the last thing on this guy's mind. Um, Jesus said at the end of this parable that the tax collector went home justified. Think about that word, what justified means rather than the other one. So it wasn't just saying that he went home justified, that both of them went home justified. He was calling out the Pharisee, you know, as, as being, you know, he's unaware that he's even violated the law, that he's not justified. He's, he's a teacher of the law considered to be, you know, one of the most religious of the religious people in the land, but, but yet he's not even justified before God, but yet this tax collector is. Now, every false religion really boils down to like a merit system in which that they can look down, like they create a merit system, their own standards, and then they can look down on people who aren't, you know, can't, can't meet the merit system like maybe they can. They look down on them. And um, it wasn't that he didn't, I don't, I believe that the Pharisee knew he was a sinner. He knew he'd broken God's law before. Uh, he knew the law, you know, as well as anyone, but he had convinced himself that he had done enough to merit God's favor. Or, or maybe that he had convinced himself that he wasn't bad enough to be cast into hell. You know, I, I believe that that is uh, definitely one of our biggest problems that we have uh, today is that I believe that so many people do the same thing, you know, in our day is that we either convince ourselves that, you know, that we meet, you know, a certain standard of goodness that we've got to make it to this standard, or um, we believe that we aren't bad enough that God would send us to hell. But think about how this tax collector, his, his attitude towards it, he feels unworthy. He is an outcast. He stands you know, far away from the holy place. He can't even look up because his stature is lowly. He's humbled. His stance uh, is the reason that we can understand why the cross had to take place. This tax collector knew that he was unable to save himself. You know, as a result, he would become totally dependent on God for grace and mercy and in this, God would, would get complete glory, you know, by saving the lost sinner. You know, man cannot boast on, you know, for what he cannot accomplish on his own. God accomplishes it for us. So th this, uh, this tax collector, he beat his breast, beat his chest, you know, and, and this, the way that it says it here, he says, um, again, in the Greek, it, it, there's a definite article there. It's not. It's really not a sinner. He calls himself the sinner. You know, it's reminiscent of the way that Paul talks about himself as as the chief sinner. You know, he really sees you know his depravity and his fallenness. You know, his, his sin, and, and and you can tell by his lowly state that he he feels unworthy to even come before God's presence. It reminds me also of the scene in Isaiah. You know, where, where Isaiah sees, you know, this vision of the Lord in his holy temple and, you know, feels unclean, unworthy, right? These lips are unworthy. They're unclean. And, and he, this is what the tax collector does. He proclaims this, be merciful to me. That's his prayer. You know, I'm, oh God, I'm a sinner. 
I'm the sinner. Be merciful to me. I mean, he is essentially asking God to be the atonement. Like I can't pay for it. I can't do what needs to be done that you're going to have to do it. Wow. What understanding that he had, you know, of the atonement. When Jesus said that the tax collector who was a self-proclaimed sinner went home justified, he was essentially pitting himself against uh, Pharisee doctrine of salvation as really as well as all other you know, worldly works based religions. You know, they would have thought, well, how can God be just and justify the ungodly? You know, that, that would be, you know, that to them that would come into conflict, right? But the way it talks about that he went home justified, he had, it had been completed. He was justified before God permanently. Without, and this was without him doing any work other than the work of belief. Without any work that he has accomplished. No work without bringing an offering or any uh, kind of his own righteousness. He's instantly declared righteous. He owed a debt that he couldn't pay. And he counted on God to pay the debt off for him. That's what he was doing. Like, God, I know that I'm a sinner. Be merciful to me. I have nothing. I've got nothing to bring you. How could God justify making a vile sinner such as a tax collector right before the eyes of God? Where did the tax collector obtain a faith that would surpass that of the Pharisees? Because remember, his, his righteousness has to surpass that of the Pharisees. Well, where does it come from? Faith in God. It's faith. That's where his righteousness lies, is that he believes God. He believes in God's goodness and his righteousness and in Jesus Christ's work. You know, so what was the difference between the two men? Faith. Romans 3.26 says it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He is both the just and the justifier. We have righteousness by faith, just like Abraham had righteousness by faith alone, is that he was, you know, he was given this promise and Abraham believed God and God counted that as righteousness on, on Abraham's behalf. It was, it was uh, imputed to him. He, it was placed on him, something he didn't deserve, he didn't earn, that God gave, he granted in his grace so think about that because of that faith, that tax collector, his account, you know, if you want to say it like that, has now been filled with Christ's righteousness. It will never default. It will never run out. And think about that the part that these things had to play in his salvation and joy for this tax collector before he was justified and could experience the joy of that is that shame and guilt and disgrace and despair. Listen to me. These things are essential. They're the perfect stature for the harvest. These things have to take place. Anguish and remorse are the things that precede repentance. You know, think about what Isaiah 64, 6 says. All of our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. We have to understand that we have nothing good to offer him. That, that he is the one that we have to trust in, you know, to rely on his goodness and his grace and his mercy and what Christ did for us, his work on the cross. You know, John MacArthur, 
you know, says it this way. I mean, well, think about this. True gospel ministry and preaching, it has to point sinners towards repentance. It has to. Then when, when the different people who encountered Jesus Christ came and asked him, you know, what I, what I have to do to inherit eternal salvation, you know, he pointed to repentance, you know, that they had, you know, uh, that they hadn't even kept the law. And so John MacArthur says it this way, a right understanding of justification by faith is the very foundation of the gospel. If you go wrong on this point and you, you will eventually corrupt every other doctrine as well. Second Corinthians 17 says this godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. So, so in order for us to get to the joy of salvation is that we, we have to be broken. First, we have to see the law. We have to see that, you know, ourselves compared to the law, Quit comparing ourselves to others because we might, you know, we might can edge them out in some areas that we kind of feel just we can believe ourselves to be justified, just like the Pharisee believed himself to be justified when he was comparing himself to the adulterer and he was comparing himself to the tax collector. But yet it was the tax collector who went home justified because he didn't compare himself to the teacher of the law. He compared himself to the law. He compared himself to God and he knew that he wasn't near that standard. And so yet it, it, it brought grief. You know, we see him in agony and anguish in repentance, but it brought repentance. And because of that, it brought justification. We have to get justification right. Justification by faith and faith alone. In Jesus Christ is the only way that you can be saved. Let's pray. God, my Father, I thank you, Lord, for God, your word and for these parables that you have shared with us, Father. God, I pray, Lord, that we would, uh, God, we wouldn't be like the, um, God, the Pharisee who uh, just wants to be seen, Father. But God, I pray, Lord, that we would be, uh, we would come to you broken, Father. And we would come to you knowing that we have nothing to offer, Lord, and that you have everything, God, that we need. And God, we, uh, we beg your mercy, Father, your grace, your forgiveness, Father. We love you and we thank you. It's all in Christ's name we pray. Amen.